I'm India and welcome to Start a Ripple, the podcast that celebrates moving in nature. You see, I believe that ripples are made when we connect movement with nature, not only for the mind and body, but also the environment too. And I can't believe we're in the fifth series already of this podcast. Thank you to everybody who has followed the podcast and I can't wait to share with you the episodes I've recorded for this series. Okay, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Howard Foster is a marine conservationist and founder of Big Blue Foundation, a UK-based charity that combines cutting-edge science and traditional knowledge to empower global communities to safeguard their oceans. Howard shares his journey into how he got into conservation work and the importance it has on his own personal life for maintaining his mental health. Now, I have to say my internet was not playing ball when we recorded, so I apologise now if there are any blips along the way. But I have no doubt you'll be able to hear past that when you start listening to Howard's fascinating story. to start a Ripple podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you, India, and thank you for the invitation for the podcast. It's really, really exciting to to have you on and to listen to your story because I feel like your journey's, from what I know and understand, your journey's gone on a really, really interesting kind of tangents here, there and everywhere. And I guess you haven't necessarily followed a linear journey to where you are now but we'll dive into that a little bit more detail um which I think is always really interesting for listeners to hear so let's start from the beginning for anybody who doesn't know who you are where did your ripple start who are you and how did you come to where you are today oh um first of all my ripple started way way back in the uh, in the midst of time um <laughs> when I first moved down to Kent at the age of 19 from Lincolnshire. I came down to Kent to visit a friend of mine who was studying at art college in Canterbury. And I ended up staying, looking for work. Um, Got a couple of jobs in the outdoors. One of them was working with horses. Uh, The other one was uh, as a groundsman at a school in Canterbury. And then one day I was visiting Howlett's Wildlife Park in Littlebourne and I got chatting to one of the keepers uh, who told me that there was a vacancy for uh, a primate keeper. I applied for it on literally on a whim because I'd had such a good time that day at uh, at Howlett and uh, I think I got an interview and with three weeks later I was being shown around uh, the backstage part of the wildlife park by a, a lovely chap called Ernie Thetford. And uh, I was walking back to the village where I was living at the time. And a Land Rover came screaming up past me, stopped. And Ernie opened the window and said, I'd like to offer you the job. So that was the start of it, really. And then I used to cycle in, I used to cycle in in the morning from the village and listen to all of the uh, all of the animals standing off first thing in the morning i worked on the primate section and that experience really working with working with the primates and, and getting to know some of the other keepers 
um, influenced me a lot. And I learned a lot more about conservation and the threats to some of the species that the howlers were uh, were taken care of, their reintroduction to the wild, their rewilding program. And that had a big impact on me. It was the first time in my life, really, that I'd spent time around around wild animals and uh, had the opportunity to learn from some really, really good people that were working at the uh, at the wildlife park at the time. So I would say that that was my first sort of foray, um, eye-opening experience that then led a couple of years later to... <laughs> I was looking for a bit of a change and one day I was sat at home and my father was there looking through the back of the Sunday Times and said, oh, Howard, there's a, there's a job being advertised to, to work in France. And again, things happened very, very quickly. I had an interview down in Surrey and about a week after the interview, I found myself on a ferry over to France with a load of other young people with backpacks and ended up working a summer on the Southwest coast, which was just transformational. Uh, first time I learned, I learned a, a little bit of a foreign language. First time I'd spent more than a week in a in a, another culture, um, and first time really I'd spent any time on the coast. Um, and I think those two experiences combined, working at Howlett and spending a summer on the southwest Atlantic coast of France, really gave me a a major desire to travel and to learn more about about the world and and more about uh, the natural world. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you could sort of dive into a little bit more about kind of what happened next, because I know that you've ended up doing a lot of sort of marine conservation, and it's and it's kind of taking you to where you you are now. So so yeah, if we, we kind of find out the next chapter after that. Well, the marine conservation part came in a little later. I, I took a I took a position in Greece at a sailing centre, and I spent the whole summer. And I, I was a, I had a professional dive qualification that I'd, that I'd um, got over the preceding couple of years, and so I ended up mountain biking in the morning with guests, uh, teaching people windsurfing at lunchtime, and then a couple of times a week I took people scuba diving. And during that time on and under the water, I developed uh, a fascination with uh, with marine life, and this was in this was in the Mediterranean. And then that developed. I had an urge to go a bit further afield, and I'd always, when I was when I was a kid, I used to see these advertisements the bounty the bounty chocolate bar. Uh, you might be a bit too young to remember these, India. <laughs> But uh, I kind of, for some reason, I got it in my head that those advertisements were filmed in Fiji. And so I always had it in my head that I'd love to go and visit Fiji. And um, I made a decision, I'm going to do this. And uh, I looked into it and found some volunteering opportunities. And I've got family in Western Australia. And I thought, well, I can tie these two things together. I could go to Western Australia, see my family that I haven't seen for years and years. At this point, uh, I'd be in my late twenties, uh, coming into my early thirties, and um, mm -hmm. I found a volunteering position on on the northwest, um, in the northwest Cape, about eleven hundred kilometres north of Perth, where my family lived, and that was just incredible. 
I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning, going down to these remote beaches in a national park and, and jumping out with a bunch of other volunteers with a GPS, um, uh, a clipboard, a sun hat and sunscreen on and, and wandering down the beach, finding literally hundreds of marine turtle tracks, green turtles, loggerhead turtles and the occasional hawksbill and recording the nests and that was just mind-blowing to me and and it was a community-based project funded by the government and again i met some really inspirational people there and i learned a lot about uh, marine cells and conservation and research i met some scientists and from there i i jumped over to fiji on another volunteer project and that was it that was kind of ambition one dream one fulfilled uh the fijian people were unbelievably kind and friendly and generous and the the diving and and the the in terms of seeing that marine environment but more importantly the the traditional knowledge amongst those coastal communities that rely on the ocean for their resources, for their livelihood. I was fortunate enough to spend some time living in uh, uh, Fijian villages and learning more from them and the way they spend their time and their, their way of life than I ever did. In terms of benefit to me personally, in terms of my, my growth in understanding of, of different cultures and what is important in life, I learned more in Fiji than I did probably from my schooling. Um, like what was your kind of key takeaway that you met, that you made, that you got from those cultures? The, the thing that struck me the most was the sense of community and mutual support. So, for example, um, it was quite, it was quite, common for the for the for the working day what we would call the working day as i saw it and as i experienced it in fiji was um get up in the morning uh, do the normal sort of getting ready for the day and then uh the, some of the guys would go out fishing everyone would would work really hard uh gathering in food and, and resources that this i'm talking about the more remote islands now and then Come the afternoon, down tools, a guitar would come out, everyone would get together, the kids would be running around, and it would be singing and, and a, a real sense of family, but on a on a on a community scale. And it was do what we need to do, and then let's enjoy each other's company, let's learn from each other, let's just share these quiet moments and for me, living in uh, as a, as growing up in the West and growing up in the UK, um, I feel, and particularly now that I'm older, I feel that we live a very, very fast-paced, technology-filled lifestyle. And I'm fortunate enough that I've travelled to quite a few countries where that is not the primary purpose of life. The primary purpose of life is to... Um, spend time with your friends, your loved ones, your family, and support each other through life and enjoy enjoy the time that you have when you're not working to put food on the table. 
yeah I guess it, it's balance isn't it and yeah I guess when you haven't got the distractions of technology like we do in the western world you're able to create that balance a lot a lot easier you know you have to, to kind of live by the sun rising and the sun setting and that's what everybody does um so was Fiji how you imagined it to be as a kid watching those bounty commercials huh. it, <laughs> it was way beyond why it what I'd imagined it to be I remember India coming in flying in and it was it was a daytime flight and look at and I was I had a window seat and looking out the window at these sort of pinprick size gradually becoming bigger green and white dots in in the in the ocean surround and then obviously as we came in closer you could see the coral reefs clearly around the island um um it was just phenomenal in, in terms of the, in terms of a how i would now describe uh an or a close to pristine natural environment i was very fortunate to visit some parts of the country that that when you certainly when when I put my head under the water, whether I was snorkeling or scuba diving, in and and part of the work that I then went on to do years a couple of years later when I was living and, and working over there, I saw I I was able to see some of the kind of things that we can see on the Blue Planet uh, and and programs like that where you think oh how did they get those images or or where were they filming for that. I mean, I, I could I could go on and on about some of the experiences that I had that I that I was lucky enough to have, but it was just it was just <laughs> sorry I, I'm 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 back there now in my mind's eye and um... oh, I have to say it is it is on my bucket list. It's one of the top places actually. Um, you've just inspired me to want to go even more. Um, <laughs> so. I know that in 2014 you had a quite a big, I guess, career change. You went from working and living, breathing the outdoors to opening a private gym. So I guess what I'm interested to know is why did you decide to leave conservation and working for the planet to working in an indoor environment um, and opening the gym? I'd been over there for about just over four years and it is such a long way from the UK I mean I, I used to joke with some friends because I, I generally used to come back once a year for four to six weeks for, for a bit of a sabbatical come and see family and friends for a catch-up and and I remember joking with friends that if you look on a on a, on a uh, one of those globes you know of, of, of the earth that and you just follow your finger around from England to Fiji. You, it's about as far as you can go before you just about start coming back on yourself. And the thing for me was I started missing people, particularly my family. Uh, my parents were obviously, as we all do, my, my parents were getting older. And I did, by dint of the fact that I was there almost all year round, but I it, I found it difficult to maintain contact with with people that I care about in the UK. I started missing things like being able to hop over the channel and go to a country where the language is different, the food's different, the culture's different, the history's different, you know, and, and, and back then the, 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 um, the money was different as well as a younger chap. So I just, there was a lot of things that I started missing 
And uh, the, the, the last time I came back to the UK before I actually left Fiji, I was thinking, what could I do? Because I've basically been diving twice a day, doing surveys on fish biomass and looking at coral health. And I don't know whether I can do that in the UK. So I have this mad idea in my mid-40s. Oh, I know, I'll become a personal trainer. I, really, I, I, I enjoy being healthy. And so I, I went off to Australia and studied the necessary uh, qualifications before coming back to the UK. Uh, ended up working at a gym in Canterbury. The chap that owned the gym about a year after I'd been working there, you know, building up my own client base, said he wanted to sell it. And, um, and that was it, really. It kind of happened by, well, I want to say accident. It really was a bit of an accident. And there you go. It's amazing, isn't it? And I guess this is why I love, I call this podcast Start a Ripple, because it's amazing when you do look back at those ripples, one thing leads to another, leads to another, but it, it's just that organic process when you just sort of follow your, follow your gut and you just trust your intuition and it, and it happens. And, but obviously, you know, the gym, it, it was a period of your life, but that also, from my understanding, naturally came to an end as well. And now... You are back in marine conservation. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to come full circle. Yeah. So um, did you get to that point when you were, you were scratching to kind of be back working, living, breathing, conservation work again? Did you, did you feel that inside of you? Or was it, what was that feeling when you thought, you know what, this chapter's come to an end. I need to go back to my roots. Well, that's a great question. And my answer to that is that I had a need inside me that I was becoming, uh, uh, I'll call it a voice. There was a little voice inside me uh, way back. This would be in 2000, towards the end of 2019. And that little voice started getting louder and louder. And that voice was saying, Howard, this isn't you're not finding this as rewarding as you used to find it and we need a change in 2000 in 2020 late in 20 during that first year of, of the uh, the lockdown i um i was having a little bit of a rough time partly because i thought like many many others did uh, in this country and around the world that i was going to lose lose the business that I'd worked hard to to build up and um <clears throat> and we were employing a, a team by that point as well so I, I felt that there was a real risk that we would lose the gym and that there would be a lot of people impacted negatively by that happening and towards the end of 2020 I found myself in um how shall I describe it quite quite a dark place actually and um, and then some friends of mine happened to mention uh, Kate Verdi, and that they they uh, I hadn't known this previously, but but they they had a a place in Cape Verde, and well, why don't I um, why don't I go away and have a couple of weeks, um, you know, in the sun basically, and 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 just get away from 
from some of the obviously as as you know as well as I do India we take our problems with us wherever we go but in in the winter sort of coming into 2021 I didn't think it was too bad an idea and um, I ended up in January 21 arriving in a country that I knew nothing about I'd never visited before I'd never been on my radar actually um, and uh, I was there for a couple of weeks and then one morning I went to a cafe and I overheard this Spanish sounding gentleman chatting about conservation and I kind of was sat there with my little journal and my coffee and I got up and basically um, had a word with this chap lovely lovely young guy and he was the director of an NGO called Project Biodiversity he then mentioned that he had a, a friend on another island called Padrin, and that Padrin was a um, a whale and dolphin researcher, amongst other things. And would I like to be put in touch with him? Um, I set up a, I think it was a video call on WhatsApp. Actually, I met this uh, I met this chap on a video call, and he said, "Oh, we've got a humpback whale research project starting." Um, Send me a bit of information. Have you done any any work with humpbacks before? And I had. I was. I'd done a little bit of that out in in Fiji, and um, he invited me to go over. And I mean, I've never packed a bag so quickly in all my life. I chucked all my. I threw all my stuff in my bag. I sorted out a ferry. Uh, I took a ferry, and um, I stepped off of a ferry onto this island that I'd never been before in my life. I saw this really tanned guy with sunglasses and sh and um, surf shorts on and flip-flops stood. And he said, Howard? And I said, oh, Padrin. And I walked off the ferry and um, he said, what do you want to do? Do you want to go and see some accommodation or do you want to? We're about to go out with the researchers. I said, I'm coming out. So he just took my bag off me, dropped it into a little rib. Uh, we... we uh, with a bunch of uh, local biologists, we went out to a research boat. Went out. Uh, Twenty minutes later, there were there were adult humpbacks breaching around the boat, and that moment in time, absolutely, all of the depression and stress and anxiety and worry that I've been having disappeared, and I knew in that instant this is what i should be doing and it all also that little voice that for the for the last sort of nine four months have been saying howard we need to make a change mm -hmm. that was when that voice said oh this is what we should be doing sometimes we have to do things that maybe aren't yeah. right for us so that we can appreciate the things that are right for us um in order to not think the grass is greener you know and it's, it's really I think it's really interesting that you you had this kind of moment in Cape Verde because I it was Cape Verde really changed with the country that I visited that had the biggest impact for me changing my sort of environmental outlook on life the country that had kind of in 10 years suddenly had more tourists on it than locals and was having all these issues trying to protect the turtles because of all these Tui hotels that we've been put on and everything. And yeah. it, it opened my eyes to how important it is 
to protect our environment because otherwise human race is going to take over and if some of us don't do something about it it's gonna look really ugly really quickly and um it's quite a sort of well I was on the island to sell but in, in some sense quite a bleak island there's no trees it's it's just sand and and ocean but it had this kind of I think it was the realization that the human race had moved so quickly on on this island and changed it in such a small space of time and it suddenly made me think I've got I've, I found my purpose there too in many respects yeah. and I came back UK and have been on a very different journey since really and yeah um kind of sustainability has been at the key of everything lots that I do now so yeah it's it's kind of quite interesting that you you had a similar well you you came back to it when you when you visited there I think listening to some of the things you just said about the, the impact that that your trip to, to Cape Verde had on you really resonates with me because I've um after spending I, I I did a I did a little bit of work in in a, the same time I was out in Fiji I did a little bit of work with uh, again community based conservation work in Papua New Guinea um, and just before I went to Fiji I'd also spent a bit of time um, in Madagascar or on a marine conservation project and I think what i found fascinating about once i got to know some of the local certainly the local staff and and, and if i may i'd like to I'd, I'd, I'd like to thank on this podcast um uh, a, a young local biologist called katia who at the time was on the humpback research expedition she's now uh, since then been promoted and is the director of that ngo so this is a, a second ngo in cape Verde called bios cv BIOS, B-I-O-S dot CV. They also um, take volunteers for their total conservation work. Um, and getting to spend some time with the local people there, and you, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I spent, I originally arrived on Sal, which is mass package tourism, the sort of all-inclusive resorts stacked one after the other. There's this, um, polar opposite you've got incredible as you refer to yourself and you've got this incredible natural beautiful environment on one hand and then which is a, which has attracted tourism in in considerable numbers that is having a considerable impact and not all of those impacts are positive so there's a lot of work to be done uh, there's a lot of communication to be done so that people who wish to make an income from from the environment and from showing tourists the environment and tourists interacting with the natural environment i believe it's all doable and i've seen some wonderful examples of really sustainable uh ecotourism efforts and i've seen unfortunately the opposite end of the spectrum and i think that my personal feeling on conservation and this applies whether it's terrestrial or marine is that Conservation, in my opinion, has to have a dollar value attached to it. It's all very well as Westerners sort of turning up and saying, oh, you mustn't do that. There's pollution and there's plastic there. And, oh, you, you, you're overfishing. People need to put food on their table and uh, they want to put their kids through school, just like everybody who does around the world. 
And I think if if we can have intelligent and respectful conversations that involve all stakeholders about conservation, that we can create at least a, a supplemental, if not an alternative income, uh, which is less destructive perhaps than some of the some of the practices that currently go on, then I think I think we're really onto something. And that's what I'm personally interested in. Which leads us, I think, very nicely into talking about your next project, um, Big Blue Foundation. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit about it, how it came to setting it up and kind of what it's all about. Okay. The, um, well, Big Blue Foundation, as an idea, came to me in Cape Verde. I spent some time with the um, with the local uh, staff of uh, BIOS TV, the, the the NGO on Boa Vista, and I started just asking questions. And I was saying, "Is there, you know, this is an incredible place, and you've got the osprey population, you've got the humpbacks, the uh, Atlantic spotted dolphins. That there's uh, there's evidence of at least twenty cetacean species in Cape Verdean waters." And um, it came up one day oh we'd, we'd really like to do this project over at this other island called San Nicolau because there's no surveys being done there really and we think that there are humpbacks over there as well and and I just I thought I I'd, I'd like to help these guys out if I could uh in some way and I said maybe maybe I should set up some sort of UK-based organization that could, could that could raise funds to, to help help to help these guys to do more of the great work that they're doing because like many small NGOs they they're not massively funded like the wildlife conservation societies and the world wildlife fund and the whale and dolphin conservation that they're not big you know heavily funded organizations so we had a chat about it and then I came back and I mean I've not set up a um I've not set up a charity before or anything like that or an NGO and so it's been quite a long slog, but really well supported by lots of people. And the links back, and it's all about links and networks. And it turned out that some of my ex-clients from the gym have been massively influential in the development of Big Blue Foundation. So, so what I'm interested to know is that what is the plan for Big Blue? Big Blue Foundation combines cutting edge conservation technologies with traditional knowledge uh, to empower coastal communities, both here in the UK and globally, to safeguard their oceans. Here in Kent, we're aiming to work between Dungeness and Dover to collect in marine plastics as part of a circular economy project. So what's a circular economy project for those, uh, for those of you listeners that, that aren't aware of it? The idea is that if you think about a, a beach clean, for example, where people go out into the environment, and, and I know that you've done you've done some on the water as well yourself, India, um, and collecting in those plastics and removing them from the environment. Now, there's a lot of great things about doing that. Certainly, it's uh, we're, we're cleaning up the natural environment so people can enjoy being in those spaces more. There's, there's certainly there are mental health benefits to activities like that. And there's the socializing aspects as well of being with uh, like-minded people. The, the, there's another stage to that within what we're aiming to achieve here in Kent is that we're working with partners 
um, to take those plastics, process them, and recycle them into new products. So what we're aiming to do here is to have design projects actually build the recycling machinery so we can take those plastics, sort them, clean them, shred them, design new products, and then actually get to the manufacturing point. So we're closing the loop on that waste so that rather than it going off to landfill or in some circumstances being burnt, both of which aren't ideal for the environment, as we know, we can actually raise awareness and also create products that are either have utility or are beautiful and have value and therefore are going to be kept out of landfill. Um, now, we're going to be collaborating with the sports truck and we're going to be going out with children, that local school children that use their sea sports centre that are out on the water doing healthy activities like kayaking, stand-up paddleboarding, um, sea swimming. And we're going to be talking to those children about conservation, uh, about the circular economy, and then getting them hands-on involved. So working with our partners down in Cornwall, for example, there's a company called Waterhall that make really lovely sunglasses, 100% from uh, fishing net that they're pulling in from beaches in Cornwall. Um, <clears throat> we're a, they're gonna be taking some of our Kent plastics and making products from that. I've recently had a meeting with a, uh, a little company out in, uh, a non-profit out in Portugal, and we're talking to them. They have an open, open source uh, plans for different products that you can make from recycled plastic, the machines that you can build, and it's all open source, which I love because it means that anyone wants to get involved can get involved at a minimal cost uh, compared to actually having to buy all of this equipment yourself. And so we're looking for funding to make that project happen and have collection points between Dungeness, where uh, we've been down, we've had a chat with the local fishermen down there who are on site with the idea in Folkestone, all the way through to Dover, the port of Dover, we'll be collaborating with as well. And so that's stage one for Kent. So it's raising awareness, doing enrichment activities with local children, adults of course can get involved as well, and um, really putting this part of Kent, this coast of Kent on the map, um, with people like yourself as well, and I know I know the great, the great uh, work that you've been doing, India. Um, to get people out there in their environment. And Big Blue Foundation is very much coming from a place of positivity and empowering people to understand that each of us can make a difference. And rather than becoming anxious and worrying about, you know, all, all the big global stories that, that we that we almost get saturated with through the through the media, our approach is very much local. You know, there are global problems, but there are very much local solutions. And that is the message that Big Blue Foundation wants to get across, that people can get involved, take part, find that personal sense of reward that they are actually taking positive action that is making a difference. And um, yeah, and we're going to replicate that in, in the Indian Ocean, in the Atlantic Ocean with our partners, uh, as I referred to earlier in Cape Verde. We're looking to work with and collaborate with and support mm -hmm. communities, uh, not just in the UK, but globally. And I think that is, you know, I feel like that is the, one of the sole reasons I started this podcast up because I wanted to speak to 
people who were connecting with the environment so much so that they then wanted to support and protect the environment and i think i'm a firm believer that that is kind of the, the start of it like what you're saying you're connecting these kids schools with their local environment making them giving them more time outside so that they will then want to give back and realize the importance of of it and it, then it comes from a very organic place doesn't it and so we're, we're coming up to the end of it but there is a there is a, a, a question i like to ask all my guests hmm. uh, and it's looking back at the ripples you've made in your life what are the biggest most important things that you've learned for keeping your mind body and the environment healthy the most important thing i've learned and this is since i made the decision to leave the world of commerce and business and, and work work on behalf of other people, on behalf of others and, um, and the environment, is that <laughs> I think a lot of my younger life, India, I was thrill-seeking, traveling the world, doing all these um at the time felt like amazing things and having all these amazing experiences and, and for sure building memories but a lot of the drive was coming from me 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 and now that i'm older and certainly since the all of the um what went on with the pandemic i've learned as part part of my purpose and and those moments that i had in cape verde is that i want to be useful to other people and by being useful, I can be more useful to other people if I'm healthy, if I'm healthy in body and healthy in mind. And also by hopefully encouraging other people to step outside their comfort zone. I try and step out of my comfort zone on a daily basis. Um, starting the day with a two minute ice cold shower is not the easiest thing in the world, but it's certainly perks me up when I've uh, woken up early in the morning and um, getting so just getting out there in the outdoors I go mountain biking and I walk the dog in the local woods uh, around where I live and I would encourage everyone to do that just spend some time outdoors leave your phone at home and get away from the screen for even if it's 30 minutes a day um, and interact with other people because we're we're social animals and mm. I get so much joy from meeting people, talking to them, and particularly when the conversation starts leaning towards what are the positives that we can do. And I'm fortunate enough now to have a network of proactive, positive-minded people around me, supporting me. Um, and I love spending time with those guys. Mm -hmm. And um, if I can pass any of that on to, if one local, school kid that we work with this summer has a has a light bulb moment then I'll feel like I've done something useful this year yeah I mean I think that's the biggest takeaway that I've got from our conversation today is obviously I was thinking I was coming onto this this chat with you we're going to speak a lot about conservation and your work there and the environment but actually what's come from it is the running theme I think throughout your whole journey has been this connection with people that um connection is key through all of this is how we're going to build a better place at the end of the day you can achieve something on your own but you can achieve far more as part of a team 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. yeah. No. So if anybody wanted to kind of follow what you're doing next and see what's going to be happening with the Big Blue Foundation, how can they do that? Well, we've we've only just recently become uh, a registered UK charity, which uh, I'm delighted about. Um, So there is a website coming soon. Watch this space. But for the time being, you can find us uh, hashtag the Big Blue Foundation on Instagram. And uh, also you can look up Big Blue Foundation on LinkedIn. And as I say, the website is in the works. Um, I'm out there at the moment being introduced to uh, some local philanthropists and uh, I'm writing uh, grant applications and meeting with, we already have a network of really good local companies that are supporting us. And we're looking to build on that to start making all of these things happen. So yeah, watch this space really. And look out for us on the beaches um, of Kent this summer. Yeah, really, really exciting. Really exciting. Well, thanks so much um, for thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm so excited to see where Big Blue is even like this time next year. I think yeah, it's going to be big things. Thanks for the opportunity, Andrew. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode the start a ripple podcast if you like what you heard then please do write a review it helps other like-minded souls find this podcast too if you want to get in touch the best way to speak to me is probably via instagram and my handle is at with underscore india all right take care and speak to you soon